We thank you for the power of your word. And Father, this morning as we study yet another command of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray that we would uh, take it to heart, that we would listen intently, and that we would be willing to apply what we learn to our lives. Uh, And this one, uh, most especially, Father, uh, because you want us to grow, you want us to mature, you want us to become more like your Son. And sometimes, Father, we don't really pull that off. We really don't grow as much as we should. And some of us, Father, in this room probably haven't grown in years. And I just pray that this morning a switch would be turned on that would show us that that's a priority. It's a heavenly priority. It's an earthly priority for us to grow. And so, Father, this morning we pray that you would be here, that you would... Through your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, give us ears to hear, and may we take what we hear and apply it in order that our lives might be radically changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, anybody in the room this morning perfect? Anybody brave enough to raise their hand? Uh, does anybody know, anybody know anybody that's perfect? I know somebody perfect. Do you? Oh yeah, you get the you get the A. Jesus, he says Jesus Christ. Yes, there's always one guy in the room. You know. Yeah, somebody says they know a perfect screw up. Yeah. Oh, you are a perfect screw up. You know the the truth is nobody nobody thinks they're perfect. At least I hope they don't. You know sometimes we get cocky. Sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we should. But but we we're not perfect beings. We make mistakes. We do screw up. We we uh, try real hard and then we fail. Uh, sometimes we do real well and other times we do poorly. But there's nobody in the room that's perfect. Yet this morning we're going to look at a a command of Jesus that is really pretty interesting because it kind of comes out of the blue and it's one that tells us that we are to be perfect. And if that wasn't bad enough, look at what he says, Matthew 5, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect, and here's, here's the standard, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, we're going to unpack this and try to find out what does that mean. You know, the first part's bad enough. You are to be perfect. Now, I can at least take that and evaluate it and come up with my own definition of perfect, and maybe get close to achieving it. But then he has to throw in the second part. No, your standard is God, your heavenly Father. I'm to be as perfect as him. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty impossible, doesn't it? And when we started this whole look at the the commands of Christ, one of the things we said is that every one of the commands is impossible. They're impossible, otherwise everybody would do it. They're impossible, otherwise we wouldn't need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. This is by far, of all the ones we've looked at, this is by far the most impossible as far as I'm concerned. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. This, is, this, this verse is smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, you know what... what um, Jesus is doing. He's speaking to this crowd that is gathered. He's on this hillside and he's speaking and he is basically he's changing 
things radically. He's coming with a whole new teaching, and he's blowing the people away. I don't know if you, one of my favorite movies, I probably should admit this, is uh, um, Monty Python. No, is it Monty Python or? No, it's not the Holy Grail. It's, it's, uh, oh, it's Life of Brian, yeah. I remember when Life of Brian came out, you know, I'm, I'm a preacher's kid, and Life of Brian comes out, and nobody was supposed to go see Life of Brian because it was supposed to be sacrilegious and, and demeaning to Christ. And really, it, it wasn't. It was just a lampoon of this guy who happened to be born on the same day as Jesus, and he gets mistaken. The Magi go to the wrong place. And so it shows them bringing the gifts to this guy, and his parents are just all ecstatic, like, hey, how do we deserve all this? And then they discover their mistake, and they come back, and they take all the presents away, and they go to the next stable. But it goes on, and, and there's a scene that's classic. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And they really depict this extremely accurately because you see this huge crowd, and Jesus is up, and he's speaking, and he's, he's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. And these guys, are, Brian and his buddies, are on the back of the crowd, and they're so far away from Jesus. Remember, there's no microphones, there's no megaphone, and they're on the back of the crowd. And I just remember uh, he's, he's going through all the blessed are, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are. And they're in the back going, what did he say? And the crowd's passing it back, and by the time it gets from the front to the back, it's blessed are the cheesemakers. And they're, they're like, blessed are the cheesemakers? Why? You know, and it's just, it's a digression. I don't know why I brought that up. But in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking this verse, and there's several, several things he says. And you remember, he says, you've heard it said that, and he refers back to the law. He says one thing, you, sh- you shall not commit murder. And they're all going, yeah, yeah, we know the law says that, yeah. And then he goes, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. It's as if you've already committed murder, if you're just angry. See, Jesus is, is changing their view on things. Jesus is radically coming with new teaching, and I think the people are sitting there just stunned that, wait a minute, we've always heard it said that if you commit murder, that's, that's the sin. I've never committed murder. He goes, hey, if, you've, if you hate your brother, if you call him a fool, it's as if you've murdered him. New standard, raising the bar. Another one he says, you've heard it said that you, you shall not commit adultery, and they're all going, I haven't done that. He goes, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. New standard. He's raising the bar. Suddenly, everybody in that crowd, every male in that crowd is nailed. I can't think of, there's probably not one guy standing in that crowd who who could say, well, I've I've never lusted. He's raised the bar. He's raised the standard. Then he says, you've heard it says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I can handle that. You know, it's, the first part's a little hard, but I, I can definitely hate my enemy. But he goes, no, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This, he's communicating to a people who are under persecution by the Romans and have been under persecution for years, for generations. And he says, no, no, here's the new standard. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So this verse we just looked at, verse 48, when he says, be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect, is smack dab in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount where his teaching is radically different and radically more advanced than anything they've ever heard before. And so he raises a standard. Look at what he says in the context. This is verse 48, but verse 45 and before. 
so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm bringing a whole new standard. I am raising the bar, and it's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. Anybody can love their brother. Now, sometimes it's hard. But anybody can do that. Tax collectors, sinners can do that. But I want you to be perfect. And it's as, it was as radical then as it is today. And yet I can't think of one time I've heard a sermon on this topic, on this verse. Because it's, it's kind of unachievable. It just seems like something we can't pull off. But Jesus says... And this is a command. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's he saying? It sounds totally impossible. It sounds like something I can't achieve, so I'm doomed to failure. But would Jesus really set me up for failure? I don't think so. So what's he saying? Is he demanding complete perfection? Am I to be completely perfect? Well, we'll, we'll find out. Is he raising a bar so high I can't achieve it? In other words... Here's your standard. It's so high, you'll never make it. Is that what he's doing? It kind of sounds that way because he's saying be perfect as compared to who? God. God the Father. You're to be as perfect as he is. Is he demanding perfection? Is he raising the bar so high, I'll never achieve it, and therefore I'll just give up? Is that what he's doing here? Um Here's what he's asking. What's he asking me? What's he asking you? What's he really asking us to do? What does it mean when he says be perfect? And this is going to be important for us to understanding this this command this morning. What does it mean to be perfect? What is he demanding? Not asking. It's not a request. Hey, here's a suggestion, guys. If you get around to it, you might try being like God the Father. No, he's saying be perfect just as my Father is perfect, just as your Father is perfect. So let's look at the, the word that he's using here. And it's a, it's a, if you want to do a fascinating word study, get a concordance and just look up the word perfect. It's going to be mature in some versions, but uh, I use the NASB. But what does it mean? In the Greek, it means having attained the end, purpose, complete, or perfect. Having gotten there, having achieved, having reached the end. And it's used in a lot of different ways. It means to complete, to be complete, and it refers to, you can apply it to labor, growth, mental and moral characters, that you are complete, that you've arrived, that you've achieved, that you've gotten to the end. And it's typically used of a full-grown adult male. So if you're, and you're going to, we're going to look at a verse in just a minute where that's put into the, the context, but it's referred to somebody that has achieved adulthood. Now, all of us know grown men who don't act like grown men, don't we? You know, everybody in the room has, has moments where we don't act like grown men. Um, you know, I've told you this before, but my wife's favorite thing she says to me is what parents do in moderation, children do to excess. 
And she always says that after my son does something really stupid. Because it's usually something he saw me do. And it's, you know, he's taking it over the top. And he, you know, like he, I'll never forget one day, you know, we were in the kitchen. And I'm there with my wife. And he walks in. And he was probably seven years old. And he says something really sarcastic to my wife. And she just, she loses it. And he's just like, you know, eyebrow singed and he can't understand. He's got this kind of dumb look in his face like, what did I do? And so I pulled him aside and I said, what possessed you to say that? He goes, well, Dad, you say it all the time. (laughs) And I sat there and, and a lot of stuff went through my mind. But one of the things that came out was, you got to work on your timing. And what I didn't know is my wife was standing behind me. And she goes, work on your timing. And I, I, yeah, honey, it's just, it's, it's, you know, he just, he's too young. He doesn't understand tact. He doesn't understand sarcasm. He doesn't use sarcasm well. And he's just kind of, you know, he hasn't, and the more I talk, the worse it got. You know, she's just, she's shaking her head. And, and that's when the, what parents do in moderation, children do to excess. Uh, so we, we act like kids sometimes. And so this word, it's a picture of maturity. It's a picture of completion. It's a picture of acting your age. That's why I call this, you know, Jesus says, be perfect. I call the, the lesson, grow up. Because that's really what he's saying. He's saying to grow up. Look at Hebrews 5, 13 through 14. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, and that's the same word, perfect, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You know, it's this picture of of what do babies do? Babies do what babies do. They drink milk. They can't eat solid food because they're babies. But when you grow up, things change, supposedly. I remember when I was in uh, junior high school, living in New York, one of the ways I made money during the winter was I would shovel people's driveways. And some of you guys have heard this story before, but um, I would just go around the neighborhood, knock on doors, and, you know, I'll shovel your, your sidewalk, and they'd pay me whatever they paid me. And there was an elderly couple who lived in our neighborhood, and he was a retired pastor, and uh, I didn't know him well, and I knocked on their door one day, and his wife was home, and they are probably in their 70s at that time. I said, I'll shovel your driveway, and she said, oh, I'd love to have you do that, and so I'm out there shoveling and shoveling, and um, when I finished, I went up to collect whatever she was going to pay me. I knock on the door, and she says, well, come on in, and she said, would you like some hot cocoa, and I said, sure, and so she went to get that, and and I hear a baby crying. I thought, that's odd. This is an older couple, and they must be babysitting their grandchild, and so she comes in with the hot cocoa, and, and she could see me looking up the stairs. She goes, oh, you hear so-and-so. She said her name. And I said, yeah. And she said, would you like to meet her? And I'm like, what do you say? I, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. I didn't particularly like kids, but you know, I, I knew enough not to offend this woman. So I said, well, sure. So she takes me upstairs and we walk into this room and it's a nursery and we walk in and there in this crib is, is the most shocking sight I've ever seen. It was a an infant adult. I don't know how else to describe it. It was a, I found out later, it was a 24-year-old baby. It was a 24-year-old, it was their daughter. 
and she had never grown. I don't know what disease she had. I don't know what the problem was, but this couple had cared for her for 24 years as an infant. Now, I was in junior high, and I wanted to run from the room because it just, I mean, my stomach got upset. I just thought it was just, it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. But even in junior high, I realized that that's weird. That's not normal. That's strange. That's not the way things are supposed to be. But you know what? The same thing's true of our lives spiritually. You know, it may not look as shocking, but sitting in this room today are men who are adult infants. They've never grown. Because what he's talking about here is spiritual, not physical. You're partaking of milk because you, you can't handle the word of righteousness. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the deeper things of God because you're, ju- you're still an infant. It's unnatural. It's abnormal. It's weird. It should shock us. It should make us sick. Just like looking at this 24... I have no idea how much longer that woman lived. But it was not the way things should have been. We're designed for solid food. We're not to be infants. We're to be mature. Look at 1 Corinthians. Yet we do speak wisdom among, among those who are mature. It's the same word, perfect. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. We are speaking wisdom to those who are mature. We're speaking truth to those who can handle it. Not to babies, not to infants who are still stuck on milk, but to those who are mature, those who are perfect. Again, 1 Corinthians 3 I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, mature men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. You see, what, what Paul's saying to me is it's, it's like me looking in that crib and seeing a, a, what looked like a large infant, but it's a 24-year-old woman who never grew. Now, that wasn't her fault. But it's like Paul looking into the church at Corinth and saying, I'm looking at all these what should be thriving adults spiritually, and you're like little babies because you're still drinking milk. It'd be like if we served pablum out here for you guys. You'd walk up and go, what is this? Now, some of you would eat it. Hey, it's food. But it's not normal. It's not natural. It's like if you've got a 14-year-old son and he's still sucking his thumb or he's still on a pacifier. It's not normal. It's not natural. We're supposed to grow up. And so Paul is appalled by what he sees here. I gave you milk to drink at one time, but you're still stuck on milk. You're fleshly. So you see in these verses, he's, he's comparing the word teleos, which is mature, perfect, and he contrasts it with the word for infant or babe. Something's wrong with this picture. And guys, we have to look across our lives. We have to look across this church. We have to look across the Christian community and say, there's something wrong here. Many of us have known Christ for for a lot of years, and we have not progressed very far in our walk. We're still infants. We're still being handheld everywhere we go. We're still being spoon-fed the Word of God because we just don't have the energy or the interest to study it on our own. 
And we need to grow. We need to be maturing. This word teleos speaks of one who is fully developed. Fully developed. Spiritually fully developed. Now, again, you're going to find out this doesn't mean you've achieved, you've arrived, you've got it all nailed down because none of us do and none of us ever will until the Lord calls us home or until he comes back. Until we reach glorification. We're in the sanctification process, right? We were saved. Someday he's coming back. Someday he's going to call us home. We will be glorified. We will be like his son. But in the meantime, we are in the sanctification process of growing to be more Christ-like. But we are to be one who is fully developed. We're to be spiritually mature. Spiritually mature. So when we see this word perfect, mature, and it's all throughout the New Testament. Remember, one of the things that I told you early on is as I studied these commands, as Jesus made these commands... The, the, the disciples, the apostles, fleshed them out. So you go read the letters of Paul, and you're going to see that he basically takes this command, and he, he goes to town with it, and he expands it, because Jesus only really said it in Matthew 5, verse 48, and never really said it again. But Paul and the other writers, John, they expand on it. And that's what happens with every one of the commands of Christ. Fully developed, spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity, if you, if you go and you read the New Testament, and all the way back into the Old Testament as well, it's a key concern of scriptures. It, it's mentioned over and over again. You cannot read the Gospels and not realize that you and I are supposed to grow. We are supposed to grow. We're, we're to become more spiritually mature. Look at Philippians. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, same word, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not perfect. Man, if I think of anybody in the scriptures who might have gotten close to perfection, it was, might have been Paul. But he goes, man, I haven't gotten there, but I'm going to keep pressing on and keep pressing on until he either takes me home or he comes back to get me. He never gave up. It's a concern of the scriptures. First Peter, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. When you're a baby, when you're new in Christ, and this is true for most of us, when we become Christians, we have this insatiable desire for the word of God. But then what happens? It gets kind of old. Yeah, I'm not that interested anymore. And then we, we fail to grow. The milk is right for a period of time, but you're supposed to move on. We're to grow in respect to salvation. Again, Second Peter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to grow. And the sad thing is, in the church today, many Christians never grow. They, they rest on the fact that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. What more do I need? Hey, if that's all it took... And you've heard me say this before. He would have taken you when he saved you. But he left you here. Why? So you would grow. Secondly, spiritual maturity is a major objective of this church. Christ Chapel. 3740 Birchman Avenue. It is a major objective of this church. Your spiritual maturity is really what we're all about. If you come here because you love the orchestra, if you come here because you love to hear Brian Keita, if you come here for, you know, great teaching, if you come here because you love to hear Ted speak, I don't know why you come here, but if it's not to grow, you might as well not come here. 
If you come here to get entertained, find another church. Because you're to be here to grow. It's our objective. It's why we exist. It's why, it's why I'm here. I would not be here if it were not that I want to see you grow. I, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm not here to... Because half the time I'm, I'm beating you up, so I don't know why you come. But it's, I think you're here because you want to grow. I'm here because I want to grow. I'm here because I want to see you grow. This is our key verse. It's the founding verse of this church, Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him. You can go to the old sanctuary and it's still sitting out in the foyer on a brass plaque. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete, teleos, complete in Christ, perfect. That is our verse as a church. It's what we're all about. It's why we exist. It's why we do everything that we do. We want you to grow. We want you to grow. So it's an objective. This word teleos means it's our objective is that you be maturing constantly, growing, learning more about Christ, learning more about the word. We want to see every believer, every person who comes into the door of this church, who comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, progress towards maturity. We're not, we, we don't expect you to be perfect because we're not perfect. I'm far from perfect, but I am progressing. You may not see it, but I, I am progressing. I'm a whole lot different than I was even a year ago. I'm a heck of a lot different than I was 10 years ago. I'm dramatically different than I was 20 years ago. And I'm nothing like I was 30 years ago. Why? Because I am progressing towards maturity. And as the longer he lets me live, I hope and pray that process will continue. That's our objective. That's our goal. That's what we're all about. What are some ways, what are some ways that you and I can mature? And I'm just going to give you, the truth is we could do a whole series just on spiritual maturity, and we're not going to do that. So we're going to just look at a few things that, how, how do we mature? How do we grow? How do we become more Christ-like? The fact is, it's not a natural process. We don't naturally grow or mature. It's not something we, unlike a child, children physically, in most cases, physically grow naturally. It just happens. The illustration I gave you earlier was, was an anomaly. It, it was not normal. It was not natural. Most kids physically grow, but not all kids emotionally grow. Not all kids spiritually grow. Not all adults spiritually grow. When we become believers, we don't all naturally grow and mature. If left to our own devices, most of us wouldn't. We just wouldn't. If, if I come to know Christ and I'm taken and divorced from the church and I'm not associated with other believers and I don't have the word of God, if I'm stuck on a desert island, I probably will not grow. It's just not a natural thing that takes place. And the baby in Christ, the newborn Christian, requires sound and consistent spiritual pediatrics. You know, care, uh, feeding, medication. Just like when you have a new, newborn baby, you take it to the doctor. You make sure it gets the right shots and the immunizations. And you, you make sure you give it the right formula. You, you, 
The same thing is true of the church. In, in many cases, the church is guilty of winning people to Christ and then just basically abandoning them. You know, hey, welcome to the family. Pat them on the head and then, hey, grow up. That'd be like bringing home a newborn baby saying, hey, we're so glad you're in the family. Now take care of yourself. The refrigerator, refrigerator's over there. There's the cupboard. You know, there's the bathroom. You know, how long would that last? But that's kind of what we do to Christians. So what I want to look at are, are some agents that God uses in my life and in your life to bring about spiritual growth. Agents that take us deeper and deeper in our relationship to Christ. And we're going to look at five of them. There's more, but I want to just key on these five. So these agents that God uses for growth. Number one, the word. This is a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer, and yet how many of us don't spend time in the word? Yeah, gosh, I just don't have time. Oh, I just, you know, I know I should, but, you know, I started, I did it for a week, and then, I, yeah. you got to spend time in the Word if you want to grow. First Peter 1, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the spoken Word, the written Word that we have that led us to salvation. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. You're saved? Great. But now grow. How? The word. You've got to be in the word of God. John 17, 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. What does he pray for you and I? Sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Sanctification is is basically a synonym for spiritual maturity and growth. That's what we're, I'm saved, now I'm in the process of sanctification. I'm in the process of becoming more Christ-like. And someday he's going to take me home or he's going to come back to get me and I will be glorified. But right now the business is being sanctified. So when he says sanctify them, mature them, grow them, Make them more Christ-like. Make them more holy through your word. It tells us that that's the Lord's objective for all believers, that we would grow through his word, that we would spend time in his word. So the word is one. The second is church leaders, another agent that God uses in my life and your life, church leaders. Ephesians 4 tells us this. He gave some as apostles. He's talking about gifts. Okay, he says, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, teachers. For, for, for what reason? Why? Why did, he, why did he give these people to the church? Here it is. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. Now, that's, those two go together. You know, what we do is we say he, he gave us pastors, teachers, apostles for the work of service. That's what you're paid to do. No, no, no. The work of service is linked to the equipping of the saints so that they will do the work of the service. So that you will do the work. Why? So that you will help build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What's our goal? As, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a leader in this church, my goal is to equip you so that you will do the work of the service and to equip you so that you will build up the body of Christ and to equip you so that you will grow to a measure of the stature of adulthood in Christ to the stature that belongs to, to the fullness of Christ. You will become like Christ. That's, that's our goal. 
So the word, church leaders, but also the body, the body of Christ. He uses the body. Ephesians, again, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each, each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You guys are a major part of this equipping and growing process and maturity process as you use the gifts that God has given you, and every one of you has them. The problem is we don't use them, but as you do, you will build up the body and we will grow together. We don't grow in isolation. We grow together. So he uses the body to help us grow. The word, church leaders, the body of Christ, and then suffering and trials. Yes, I would have loved to have left this one off because this is the one we hate the most. But you know what? It's probably the one that works the most, in my life at least. Suffering or trials. James, you know this verse. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result. Same word. So that you may be perfect, same word, teleos, and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials, difficulties, the testing of your faith. God uses that, and yet it's the one we reject the most. Where's the blessings, God? Where's, where's, the, where's the good stuff? But I have grown more, and I think it's probably the testimony of every man in this room, I have grown more through trials and testing than any other way in my life. Blessings don't make me grow. Blessings make me comfortable. Blessings make me self-sufficient. I grow in trials. So sufferings and trials, and then finally the indwelling and teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's here for. That's what, why he was given to us. He's our helper. He's our advocate. <laughs> Again, Ephesians 3. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of Christ. How? To be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man. We have within us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what gives us the power and the ability to grow. He speaks to you. You know, he tells you right from wrong. He, he lets you know when you shouldn't go this way or that way. The problem is, I don't think it's that we don't hear him. It's that we don't want to listen to him. And when we get into a pattern of not listening to him, he gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And the voice becomes stiller and stiller and stiller. But he's given us these five agents in our life. And I'm going to do something. I want to do something completely different. We're not going to do this discussion. And I know it's going to make some table leaders mad, but I don't care. Um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to ask, in just a second, I'm going to ask one of our own guys to come up. And I want to talk about, real briefly, what does a maturing Christian look like? And I don't think it's what we think. You know, we think we have this picture of a maturing Christian. And I don't know what comes into your mind. Maybe it's Ted, maybe it's Bill Egner, maybe it's some guy in this room. I don't know who you think or what you think a maturing Christian looks like, but I want to I throw out in front of you that maybe it's not what you think. 
Maybe it's you, and you just don't realize it. Maybe it's somebody at your table, and you just don't realize it. Around six months ago, I, I didn't meet because I already knew him, but I got to know somebody in this room a little bit better. And over the last six months, I've grown to know him a whole lot better. I got to know him because of a situation he was going through. Um, he and his wife were having some pretty significant marital difficulties. As a matter of fact, his wife had just recently moved out. They're still having some significant issues. And I, and I debated whether to do this, but I'm going to do it. Because that situation is not yet resolved. But I have met with this guy for the last six months, and, and other men in this room have met with him as well. And what I have seen, the man I met and got to know better six months ago and the man that you're going to see this morning are two completely different men. And yet, a lot of stuff in his life has not changed. A lot of stuff is not better yet. The blessings haven't necessarily been poured out. And I'm going to ask Doug Daniels to come up here. And guys, the reason I was reluctant to do this is I know there's going to be somebody in the room going, whoa, wait a minute, this guy's going through a difficult situation with his wife and she's filing for divorce and, hey, wait a minute. You know what? That's true. And there's a group of guys who meet every Friday morning and we are praying for the healing of this guy's marriage. He's praying for the healing of his marriage. He does not want this divorce. His wife does. And, and this guy right here has, has admitted to me and to other men mistakes that he has made in his life and his marriage over the years. He has owned up. He has fessed up. He has said, it's my fault. And he is changing radically. And I'm, go, I'm just going to ask, here, you hold this. This is Doug Daniels. And if he gets emotional, if he gets fearful, bear with him. I'm just going to ask him just to briefly tell us what has happened in the last six months or, or six months ago. What are the things that began to happen in your life? Not the positives. Tell some of the negatives. Oh, the negatives? Yeah. This on? Should be. Uh, my son uh, went to Iraq, Marine. Went in June. Had a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, couldn't talk to him. Couldn't email him. Wondering what's going on. He was right in the middle of everything. Uh, he got married right before he left. Um, September of last year, my wife asked me to uh, move out. So I did. My uh, daughter-in-law was pregnant. We found out that uh, she, uh, the baby, may have spinal bifida. Well, we got hope that it was not. Uh, long story short, uh, we had a stillbirth in January. Uh, oh, somewhere around that time. My son got emergency leave home. Uh, on top of that, my dad had a major stroke. Uh, it hadn't been a lot of fun. It's uh, I turned to Christ. Uh, none of these things have been resolved other than my son is home. 
Thank God for that. He is living in uh, Cherry Point, North Carolina. Bought him a house. They seem to be doing well. The situation with my wife is ongoing. Probably uh, divorce is, is coming. Uh, I've had a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, I believe uh, that this is uh, not what God wants, but it's what she wants. So I pray that God will take my will away and let me see his where I can uh, grow further in him. I've been blessed by a lot of men in this room. Uh, God has blessed a lot of men through me. I have a friend that uh, was saved last uh, summer. He's also an alcoholic. I couldn't tell him what to do. I was concerned for him. I prayed for him. Now he's in AA. He's been clean and sober for a month. Here, here, you know, this is one of the interesting things about this is that um, when Doug moved out, he moved in with this guy, um, alcoholic, not following the Lord. Six months ago, this guy wasn't following the Lord. Now, he's come to Mighty Men over the years on and off, but he was not a spiritual leader in his home. He was not following the Lord. He was not in the Word. Um, he was going through the motions and has been over the years in his home, and it's a big reason why his wife has filed for divorce. Um, but he moves in with this guy, Bill Gorell. And Bill, after watching him over the last six months, has decided that I want to change my life. I want to be different. I want what you have. And uh, six months ago, where were you spiritually? Uh, came to church uh, because, just because, came here on occasion. Uh, I just, I was all show. There okay. was nothing but show. It didn't, God wasn't in my heart. It was all show. So what's different now? Uh, God is in my heart daily. I'm in the Word every morning. I, uh. I have the need to, or I want to help other men. That's what I want to do. It may be out of selfish reasons because it makes me feel so much better when I help someone else. I want to give back what God gave to me. No matter what my situation is, God's going to bring me out of it. I'm going to be blessed by it, and I'm going to be a better man for it. Guys, let me wrap this up. Um, see, a maturing Christian is not what we think. You know, one of the things about a guy like Doug is, is, and there's other guys like him in this room, Doug is going through some trials in his life. I mean, stuff he's been through that you and I haven't been through. Um, he, even as, as late as yesterday, his wife is still adamant about a divorce. 
This guy has made some incredible mistakes. He's been a screw-up as a husband and as a father, and he'll admit it. But you know what? He knows he's made mistakes, and he's changing the way he's living. The hard part is his wife refuses to see it. She's remembering the old Doug. She's remembering the Doug that used to be, and she will not let him close enough to let him even show the difference. All he can work on is Doug at this point, and all we can do is continue to pray that God would heal his marriage. And my, my encouragement to him is I don't care how many papers get filed. I don't care how many judges make decisions. I don't care how many gavels hit the, the table. God is greater than that, and it's never too late. And we're going to keep praying, and we're going to keep praying that God will keep changing him and that God will change the heart of his wife. A maturing Christian is not necessarily what we think. It's somebody whose life begins to take on the character of Christ-likeness, and Doug Daniels' life is taking on that character. He is a different man than I met six months ago. He's different. He's changing. And I want to go through these real quickly, and we'll close. We've got about five minutes. What's the difference between childlike faith and mature faith? And, and these are pretty simplistic, but I think they kind of hit home. A childhood faith, a childlike faith is good Christians don't have pain or disappointment. You know what Doug's learning? That God uses our pain and disappointment to make us more like Christ. That's somebody who is maturing. When you realize that, thank you, God, that you brought this into my life. You know, Bill Gorell would not be going to AA if Doug Daniel's wife had not asked him to move out. I can't understand that at all, other than God is greater than the decisions of mere human beings. And God is using for good what somebody else means for evil. And he is having an impact, even in the midst of his trial. Maturing faith realizes that God uses pain and disappointment to make us more Christ-like. A childlike faith, God helps those who help themselves. What a stupid statement. We're always trying to help ourselves. Well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. A mature faith says God helps those who admit their own helplessness. That's where this guy is. That's where Doug is. That's where many of the guys on Friday morning, and there are men in this room who have yet to admit, I can't help myself. And until you do, you remain helpless and hopeless. Maturing faith realizes that. Child, childlike faith says God wants to make us happy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Coming out of the mouths of men and women, going through situations in their marriage that God just wants me happy. What a crock. God could care less about your happiness. A mature faith is God wants to make you holy. God wants you holy. And to get you to be holy, he sometimes allows you to be unhappy. He sometimes allows you to go through difficult times. Childlike faith says, faith will help us always explain what God is doing. Or other words, in other words, things always work out. You know what? Their grandbaby died. We prayed that it wouldn't, but it died. You know what Doug's response to that was? It's really remarkable. Rather than get bitter at God and say, why didn't you heal my grandbaby? He said, what a blessing 
that God protected my son and daughter-in-law, that they wouldn't have to raise a baby that was going to have severe medical difficulties. He saw blessing in what many of us would see as just a curse. That's a guy who's maturing. That's a guy who sees, has faith that helps us trust that God's sovereignty is greater even when we have no idea of what he's doing. I don't understand this, God. I don't know why you did this, why you allowed it, but you know what? I'm going to trust you. That's maturing faith. And finally, childlike faith says the closer we get to God, the more perfect we become. But you know what I'm learning? I think what Doug's learning, the closer I get to God, the more we become aware of our own sinfulness. It's like walking into a, a brightly lit room and looking in a mirror and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was there. Man, look at that flaw. The closer you get to perfection, the more imperfect you realize you are. It's just the way it works, guys. God wants you and I to mature. God wants you and I to grow up. Childhood faith, infant faith says mature Christians have the answers, but a maturing faith says mature Christians can wrestle honestly with the tough questions because we trust that God has the answers. And you know what? He may not give you the answer right now. We don't know what's going to happen with Doug's marriage. We really don't know. And I would love to be able to tell him in six months, your wife's coming back to you. I can't give him that answer. But you know who has the answer? God. Mature Christians can wrestle with that and trust God that he knows what's best. Good Christians are always strong. That's what, that's what an infant in the faith says. But a mature believer says our strength is in admitting our weakness. Admitting our weaknesses. You know, I could have probably brought up a dozen different guys this morning and we could have told the same story. What's God doing in your life? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Are you allowing the difficulties in your life, whatever they may be, financial, relational, to, to mature you into the man that God wants you to be? Are you, doing it, are you doing God the stiff arm? I hate this, God. I reject this. I don't like it. I don't want it. Take it away. You know, in working with guys like Doug and others in this room, some of it, sometimes we reach the point where we can't, we can't do anything. Doug cannot do anything at this point, it seems, to change the heart and mind of his wife. So all he can do is to continue to grow and continue to try to love his wife from a distance the way Christ loved the church. That's all he can do because he can't control the other and he can't control what's going to happen. That he has to leave in the hands of God. But he's growing, he's maturing. How about you? How about you? You know, I guess my prayer is that I don't want to see what's happened to Doug, what's happened to others in this room, happen to every man in this room. But you know, the sad thing is for many of us, we force God to take his proverbial two-by-four and smack us upside the head because we refuse to grow on our own. And so he has to get our attention. And sometimes he takes away things. Sometimes he has to knock the props out from under us. And here's, here's my final thought. 
I don't know where you are. Many of you in this room are not even married, but if you're married and you're where Doug was six months ago, if you're not the spiritual leader in your home, if you're not leading your wife spiritually, if you're not praying with your wife daily, if you're not reading the word with your wife, if you're not leading your kids spiritually, and the only reason you come to church is because your wife says it's the thing to do, wake up and smell the coffee. Because where he is, you could be. Because that is not what you've been called to be. That's not what you've been called to do. You are to grow. You are to lead. You're to be the spiritual leader in your home. You're to make a difference in the lives of your kids. Your wife is not the spiritual leader in your home. You are. And it's time for us to take that up and run with it. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you that you are at work in the lives of men in this room. I thank you that you want to make us grow. And you love me so much that you bring into my life the very things I need to force me to turn to you. Father, I don't know why I and other men in this room are so dadgum stubborn that we force you to bring us to our knees before we'll lift up our eyes. Father, how many more Doug Daniels are there going to have to be before we wake up and realize if we would just pursue spiritual maturity, if we would grow, if we would do what you've called us to do, we wouldn't have failing marriages. We wouldn't have wives pursuing other men because we don't lead them and we don't fulfill them and we don't provide for them. We wouldn't have kids in rebellion and who reject the things of God if we were doing our job, but we're not growing like we should in many cases. Father, I pray this morning that every single man who walks out of this room would walk out with a new passion that they are tired of staying status quo and that they are going to pursue spiritual maturity, spiritual perfection, And like Paul, they're going to keep running, they're going to keep pursuing, they're going to keep pressing on until you either call us home or you come back to get us. And we will not let anything distract us from that pursuit. Because it's it's the main objective of why you left us here. May you continue to change the lives of every man in this room. And Father, I lift up the marriages in this room, and I specifically lift up the marriages of the men who are going through difficult times. And I pray, Father, for a miracle. First of all, I pray that these men would be so radically changed that their wives would look at them and go, what in the world has happened to you? You are not the man I married, and you are not the man I left. Father, I pray that you would work a miracle in their marriages. I pray for healing. And I don't care, Father, how bad it looks. May we never, ever, ever give up. May we never stop pursuing the woman you gave to us. Father, we want to see you work. We want to see a miracle take place so that when it's all said and done, we have to give you the glory because you did it. When all the world said it couldn't be done, give up. Pursue your own happiness. Father, we want to see you work, and we want to give you the glory. Now go with us. Change us, challenge us, 
Make us the men you've called us to be, and may we never settle for less. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, we'll see you next week. Pick